Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Paul Lisnick Behind the Curtain, my opportunity to leave the world of uh, politics and law that you watch me cover on television to talk about the fantastic world of entertainment. And what a treat today. Not often do you get to talk to a legend in the music, theater, arts world, but today I get a chance to do just that with somebody who, I'll be honest, I have admired I hate to say it, but since I was a young kid, and um, I don't know what it is about Paul Williams that has intrigued me, but for years, Paul Williams, I have loved your stuff. And thank you so much for being, we're going to talk about a show you're just doing now, but thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Paul. It means a lot. That's what I call a heart payment to hear that. It's true. Cause you know, you probably have people that interview you and, you know, they kind of look you up or whatever. No, I I mean, I just, I go back and, and for folks who are joining us, maybe who just aren't as familiar with some of your previous work. I mean, this is the guy who wrote an old fashioned love song, rainy days and Mondays, uh, what the carpenters music. I mean, let's just put it in a category. Um, won't last a day without you. And I have to tell you when I was in high school, my English teacher married a math teacher and the two of them got married to, we've only just begun. How cool is that? And yeah. he, which he wrote, and he forced us to study that song for an entire semester as we pulled apart every lyric, every whatever, to study the brilliance of that song. Anything you care to say to Larry Carlino if he's alive like and watching? To, I'd like to apologize to every student who had to put up with that. You know, <laughs> I'm glad he enjoyed the song and everything, and, and what an, an amazing compliment that. But. Uh, yeah, you know, it had all the romantic beginnings of a bank commercial. I was writing songs with Roger Nichols. We were having amazing success in the sense that all of our songs were being recorded. None of them were making it to the airways. We were writing album cuts and B-sides. Nobody knew who we were until the Carpenters showed up at A&M Records, and they knew a lot of our things from album cuts, from B-sides and the like. We were thrilled. It was like, wow, somebody knows who we are. But what happened, essentially, just a quick story about We've Only Just Begun. Yeah, please. Is that there was a, a wonderful songwriter named Tony. There is a wonderful Tony uh, songwriter named Tony Asher. Man who wrote God Only Knows for, for Brian. Wonderful. Who had a job writing a commercial for uh, a song for a commercial for a cock- Crocker Bank. Very different commercial. No pitch, no sales pitch. Just a young couple getting married. Uh, you see the kiss, the driving off after the reception, and the one line, we'd like, you've got a long way to go. We'd like to get you, to help you get there, the Crocker back. And he broke his arm skiing, and he couldn't do it. So he called Roger. He said, I've recommended you and Paul. And I was like, I don't want to do a bank commercial. I'm street. I'm black, white light, <laughs> and black leather, you know, which, of course, is as far away as what I actually probably was. But I didn't want to write a bank commercial. And he said, there's a creative fee in it. I said, let's write this bank commercial. <laughs> right. So we wrote it. Uh, I think we wrote it in an afternoon. We, we finished the first two verses that were the commercial into a complete song in case anyone wanted to record it. Paul, there was no way in the world this was ever going to be a hit because the number one album at the time was in Agata de Vida. And, and then an angel sang it. Richard Carpenter heard me singing it on the commercial. He said, is there a full song? They recorded it. And the next thing you know, your entire class is t- studying the yeah. song. 
Sounds like you didn't expect that would become, I mean, for many, many years, even today, that is the song many people get married to as they walk down the aisle. Exactly. That and Evergreen seem to have yeah. had kind of kind of kicked into that that uh, that spot. I've never written a divorce song, although I've done it twice. I'm happily married now for all of 18 years. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm way past wanting to write a divorce wow. song. And I was, of course, going to bring up Barbara Streisand. In the middle of listening to her 48 hours of audio, she recorded her new autobiography book on tape, as, of course, Barbara was not going to let anybody else do that. Of course. But- I haven't heard it yet. Have you heard it? I'm listening to I'm, in, I'm on chapter four, You're listening to it right now. Oh, my God. And goodness. by the way, I would recommend, I mean, read the book if you want to, but listening to her do it with her inflections, it's fabulous. Can you share a memory about working with Barbara to write Evergreen? Oh, my God. She expected you to be as good as she is, It was, it's, <clears throat> which is almost impossible. But it was just, I mean, what an amazing opportunity. I, I, at the, I think my 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 thoughts about it and, and and really recognizing the reality of working with her has changed very much through the years because I was very kind of flippant about it at the time. I was probably totally intimidated. And in those days, I'd have a couple of drinks and, and a, a little toot or something. And, and my confidence, you know, the confidence lifted me up to the place where I could work with somebody like, like Barbara Streisand. I think that that what happens over the years, we know, is that as, as alcoholism is a progressive disease, uh, we find that the confidence can turn into arrogance. And my life kind of got got off the tracks. But at the time that I was working with Barbara, I felt like in, in many ways I was at the, at the top of my game. It was an amazing opportunity. I thought that that uh, she was, you know, uh, you know, I. Uh, she she had opinions about everything she was in in it was of course she does she is she is about to embark uh on on the biggest picture of her life that she's involved in the production she's involved in every piece of it uh we have 7 weeks to write a score you know she she and john peters actually called me about writing one song uh i got a phone call i was i was actually being fitted for a tuxedo and uh, my wife came in and she said it's Barbara Streisand. She wants to talk to you. And I went like, oh, my God, it's Barbara Streisand. Hello, Hello Barbara. I'm getting a fitting. <laughs> Hello, Barbara. This is Mr. Confidence here. I'm getting a tuxedo <laughs> fit. Watch that in team, you know. Uh, and, uh, and what she basically said was there's a wonderful song that you wrote called You and Me Against the World, which I wrote with Kenny Asher. And Helen Reddy sang. She said, I'm doing The Star is Born. And at the end of the picture, there's a place where I find a song that John Norman Howard has has written but never recorded. And I want to end the picture with me singing that song. And You and Me Against the World kind of fits that. I, would you consider writing something for, for this? And uh, that's what she said. That's not what I heard. What I heard was I want you to write all the songs for The Star is Born. <laughs> And so when I showed up and they sent me a script, I had like notes on this would be about that and like that. When they asked me to leave the room, the they being Barbara and John Peters, and then brought me back in and they said, you know, uh, you're not. In, John said to me, you're you're not intimidated by this, are you? And I said, absolutely not. I'm sure because I said earlier, I probably was. But he said, that's not what we ask you at all. But it's interesting. Uh, you know, and I said, well, I'd love to do it. And, I, and I'd love to bring Kenny Asher in. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to have Ken, Kenny and I because you, that's the song that got us a job in the first place. And I think he'd he'd write wonderful music. He'd also be a great contributor to putting the band together for, for Christopherson and the like, which he was. But it was so it was the beginnings of it. And, and it was literally seven weeks. 
to write. And we wrote, I think, seven of the songs on there. We wrote all of this, almost all the songs for Chris. We wrote Woman on the Moon, Watch, Watch Closely Now, Woman on the Moon, uh, everything. Uh, uh, with One More Look at You. I mean, all, Amazing you know, song. That yeah, was one of my, I mean, exactly. I listened to Thank that you. that soundtrack a gazillion times a day. Um, I mean, it was just just amazing. And of course, your career gets you know, the Academy Award, Golden Globes. Uh, 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 I mean, we, we, I mean we won, yeah, we we hit the the you know the the hat trick, all three. Yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. I'm That's curious. what it's like to work with Barbara Streisand. You know, you you know you you know you try to rise to the occasion. And one of the great memories is of her sitting down very shyly. Incidentally, if you try to imagine Barbara shyly picking up a guitar and going, "Is this something you could use?" And going, "Bah!" Just learning to play the guitar, searching for the chords, "Bah!" Bah da da dee da da. Looking for the chord, da 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 dee da da, and she sings me that melody, and I went, "Oh my God, there's your your love theme right there." You know, and she had so- to work with the nails too, right? You had the nails with the guitar, <laughs> with the nails exactly. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm sure to get, listen. I, of course, look, producers are going to be mad if we don't talk about the reason we're talking, which is your amazing work with Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas playing at the Studebaker Theater now in Chicago. That's where you and I met just the other night and took our quick picture. Um, we're going to talk about that. But I I, I mean, I, I got I, this walk down memory lane is amazing. I just want a little more background. By the way, I just got back from a trip to Omaha. Any memories from Omaha? None really. My dad was building Boys Town. My dad was a, a builder. We I went to nine schools by the time I was in the ninth grade, but he built Boys Town. He built the Veterans Hospital in Albuquerque. He built the hangars for the B-36s in Rapids. So it was always like about a year of the school and then go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one until he was killed when I was 13 in a alcohol-related car wreck. So I have two brothers who have since passed, who all three of us are, you know, wound up getting sober. We caught the gene from our dad. All three of us got sober. Uh, the only difference between me and my two brothers is that I quit smoking and neither of them did. And it took them out eventually. Uh, but, but yeah, Omaha, I have, I, I left it very young. I don't have, yeah, I know I that the first time that I, that I went on tour was opening for the, the fifth dimension. And when we played Omaha, I got a, I, I walked on stage and said I was born here and I got a great ovation. One of the biggest <laughs> I'd ever heard. I went, oh, that's kind of a dick. You're the famous guy that came from Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, when you look back on your, I mean, when you talk about all that you've worked and the folks you've worked with, and I'm sort of curious who the music, when you were writing, for example, um, commercials, I mean, Barry Manilow was doing the same thing. Uh, well, you're working with Streisand, Marvin Hamlish was working with Streisand. Who were your influences early on in your career? The Great American Songbook. I mean, the first thing, the first movie I ever saw that I just was, I made my mom stay. I went to see a, what would be called a, in those days a chicks flick that my mom and my aunt went to see and they took me with them. And I, and I made it stay, sit through it twice and it was called With a Song on My Heart. And it was starred, starred, uh, Susan Hayward as, as, uh, Jane Froman, the singer who was injured, entertaining the troops and the like. And I was just, I mean, you know, there was a full circle moment in my life. I saw, I saw that all of a sudden my interest was in, you know, I, I mean, I graduated high school in, in 1958, which was the era when, when rock and roll was born. I discovered rock and roll in the, in the mid sixties through the Beatles. That's where I learned about Chuck Berry and all this because in high school, I was listening to, to, 
Cole Porter and you know, Rogers and Hart. And, and uh, so I was listening to Sinatra. I wasn't listening to Elvis, you know. I happily had songs recorded by both of them. But it's interesting because from the very beginning of, of my affection for music, I had this amazing kind of a, a almost like a sense memory of loving those songs, you know, lo- loving the the song Johnny Burke and Burke and Van Houston. Here's that rainy day, spent, uh, swinging on a star, pennies from heaven. It's like I knew them, you know. So I mean, there's a lot of people would say, "Oh, oh past life stuff." There, Paulie, who knows? But I know that that it's interesting because my 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 taste in music opened up in my in when I began to write. Uh, and uh, I mean, my favorite band was a group at the time called the original Delaney and Bonnie and Friends that had Leon Russell in it and oh. uh, uh, just amazing, amazing kind of a, a, a kind of a country rock gospel sort of a sounding band. But what seemed to come out of me was probably closer to what I was raised on that kind of classic songwriting style, you know. Plus, I wound up hooking up with Roger Nichols, who was a brilliant composer. And uh, a trained composer, and he was my music school, you know. But uh, but at the at this point in my life, I, I mean, I have a, I have a respect for for I mean uh, all kinds of music, all kinds of music. And I I'm writing right now with a group called Portugal the Man. You look at Daft Punk, you know, which is you know essentially dance music, and and w- what we did with together with uh, Random Access Memory, which won the Grammy for Album of the Year. It's it's just. It, I'm, it's amazing to to be at my age. I mean, and I turned eighty three in September. I feel like a tired thirty four, uh, but to be at my age and feel as attracted to to the kind of music being written right now and all the different ways to to do all this deal. What is it do you think about your music? Here's the thing. I've talked to a lot of, I've gone to young people, whatever. I toss out some of the songs you've written when I said I was going to talk to you, and they're like, "Oh my god, the amazing stuff." There's a lot of songwriters in your day and after your day who have come and gone. What is it about Paul Williams songs, music that just have stood the test of time? And as far as I'm concerned, will always stand the test of time. Well, a lot of it's the, the shoe leather that walked up to Paul Williams. Look at the people I've written with through the years. I have to just go like that. Not only to the songs that I wrote with Kenny Asher and Roger Nichols and Barbara Streisand and, and, uh, Gustavo Santolaya now and, and just the amazing people through the years, but how they affected what I wrote alone. Because every time I sit down with somebody and write a song, I sit down with John Vesner in, in Nashville and we write a song. The first song together is called You're Gone. It's a number, number two around the country, country hit and all. What did I, what, what did I pick up in that besides the hit writing with John Vesner? What I learned was, you know, you almost can't put it into words, but there's an approach to writing that all these individual wonderful, wonderful geniuses uh, bring to the table that I think shows up in in my work. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's borrowed information, you know. And, and some of your songs have been labeled as like I mean, just labeled as the most important in American music. You are a part of the American Music Songbook now. Um, I'm curious. You get involved with Jim Henson, Rainbow Connection. I don't think I've said that title yet since we've been talking, but the world knows Rainbow Connection, one of the classics of all time did projects bring you in like let's call paul williams we need him to do this because you've got the kid stuff and then you've got the adult stuff did projects find you or was there a certain genre you said i want to write for that and then the rainbow connection connects 
I, yeah. I, I just answered the phone. <laughs> you know, as they asked Semicon, they said, what comes first, the words of the music? He said the phone call. It's a very, <laughs> yeah, very yeah. famous line. You know, and he's right. For me, my whole thing with, with, with the, you know, the, the, the path that I follow, I, I couldn't have planned. And when I got sober, I incidentally, I'm 33 years sober. That was a huge change in my life. Probably the most important thing that ever happened to me is that I, is that I finally was, was given, you know, relief from that, the, the disease of alcoholism. And, uh, uh, when I, I, I look at, at the, at the, the route that my life has taken and I realize, A, you couldn't have planned it. And B, that there is a surrender to to the moment, to the now, and what the now is producing. That is, if you can if you can face it with enthusiasm and and not go, oh Jesus, I didn't get what I want. If you can go, wait a minute, no is a gift. There's something better coming again and again and again. I've repeated that in my life. I've always had a very Jiminy Cricket kind of attitude about life, Paul, and I think that it's been a, a part of the. Part of the the construction process is for me to maintain that attitude. There's also something about you. You weren't aren't just a composer and a musician, but I mean, we wa- I watched you on Match Game. You're in the Love Boat. You were in the Odd Couple, uh, singing to Tony Randall's daughter. What you all? I mean, you're an actor as well. What what took you to the world of you know? I'm a composer, but then we're watching. You were everywhere. No, it was a gift. No, and and the career that I all I ever said I could do is act. I wanted desperately to be act. A good therapist would say and said to me, "You wanted to be somebody else." You know, it's like I you know, I used to joke that I felt like Montgomery Cliff, but I looked like Haley Mills. It was hard for me <laughs> to get a job as an actor. But I think I've approached songwriting as, as you know, especially when I look at anything with a story and characters. I mean, I'll, I'll take it right down to Ishtar. I mean, I wrote the, the intentionally awkward and, and believably bad song Ishtar, really writing for the two characters, Chuck and Lyle, the two mismatched songwriters. How would they approach this? What is it? You know, so, so I get, I think that, that my acting has and my desire to, you know, to, to examine the interior life of the character somehow manages to translate into into the way that I write songs. Let me say that because I actually, I, I, think, I had I, was, I had Ishtar on my list. I went, I don't know if I should bring Ishtar up with him. I don't know what his feeling oh, is. I, about oh, him. I love it. I just did a thing at the Brookshire Museum where they did a, a, a bunch of clips of, of collections. And I think some of the best work I've ever done in my life is the believable bad songs for Ishtar. I cherish that project. And, you know, what happened is that basically the shooting schedule was reviewed instead of the film. These days, the, like the New York Times re-reviewed the film and they gave it a glowing review, a beautiful review. Uh, but, but the fact is that, that that I think that you know back to that thought is that I think I approach writing songs, uh, you know, from from a point of like an actor that's looking. Okay, what is the interior life of what's going on with this character? What happened with Jim Hansen? Because that's what you, where you were starting to ask about. Was I went over to do the. Uh, the the Muppet Show, and I was a big fan. The great thing, Paul, about what you and I do for a living is we don't have to give up our fan cards. I mean, That's it's right. like I'm I'm just I'm nuts. I go I'm fanboy right now. Room and recognize somebody, and I just gurn out. I go, oh my god, it's Quincy Jones. I've known Quincy for fifty years. I still go crazy when I see <laughs> Quincy Jones, uh, and probably always will. Um, I think that that uh, that what happened is I showed up at, and I'd never been a member of a of a gang that had a treehouse when I was a kid. 
when I walked onto the set of The Muppet Show in England, I felt like I, was, I had just stepped into the treehouse. I mean, there's Dave Goltz and Frank Oz and all these guys, and, there's, and they have this, uh, this edgy, wonderful humor and hearts that is just, you know, and Jim Henson was, I, and the phrase that belongs completely to him, and I use it a lot, is the the elegance of kindness there was uh, there was an energy to the man that was just remarkable and you know he had a great relationship with a wonderful songwriter joe raposa and what would i was totally shocked when he handed me the book of and the script for emma daughter's jug band christmas and he said would you take a look at this and see if you'd like to write the songs and i went oh my god and they poured out of me. I found that everything I've ever done with either Jim or Brian or with anything with, associated with the Henson, I won't even say the, you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 I mean, I, I have, I have to talk about the Henson heart, if anything, mm-hmm. that there is, there is an energy to everything that, that, that the Muppets have done and, and, uh, and everything that, that came out of the Henson family that would just have that elegance of kindness. The thing about this show, Emma Daughter's Jug, Jug Band Christmas, I mean, I was surprised. I did most of my homework afterwards. I just wanted to sit and enjoy the show. I knew it was a family show, so I thought, how much do I need to do ahead of time? But the the Broadway quality stars, people involved in this show, this is like A-lister stuff putting this show oh, together. Yeah, yeah, it is A-lister. And you know what? We opened on Broadway. We, we developed it at the good speed, you know, probably six years or maybe more ago. I forget when we started. And uh, and Tim McDonald, who produced it and also has co-written written the book, uh, talked to Chris Catelli and he said to Chris Catelli, what would you like to do? I want to do something with you. What would you like to do that you haven't had a chance to do? And the first thing he mentioned was Emma Daughter's Jug Man Christmas. And, I, you know, it's interesting because people that, you know, this little show, every year more people seem to watch it and it becomes part of their, you know, their their family tradition. Same thing with Muppet Christmas Carol, which incidentally was the first sober song score I ever wrote. And uh, we're finding the same kind of a thing. And people are making it a part of their Christmas year after year after year. One of the but- treats... One of the treats that happens here, and this, I'm glad I didn't do this homework, and I got permission to say the fact I'm going to say, because uh, I didn't want to ruin anything. But first of all, there's little Easter eggs to you all over the place, right? They're, they're, the building is the Williams Opera House. There's zero all over it. But as I'm sitting and I'm listening to Pa Otter sing this beautiful song uh, called Alice Keep Dreaming, I was sitting there going, I swear that's Paul Williams' voice. But I know you're sitting behind me in the audience, so it ain't you up there. And I asked, and I found out later, and I asked. They said, "No, it's okay. It's you don't have to keep it a secret." That what a great tribute to you. That is your voice in the show. Well, yeah, Tim asked me to do that, and and uh, you know, I wrote a bunch of new songs for for the the show. The, just the history of, of of something that had that that pure the touch of it deserves to be called jim henson's emma daughter's jug man christmas because it is absolutely jim's jam and that is the full name and you're right it, it's and it's it's right up on the top of the of the the theater at, at the opening of the proscenium uh but the uh the the show you know it's interesting because we opened on broad we did open on on rather in new york at the new view and uh or the new vic sorry and and got amazing reviews. I mean, uh, the New York Times was, uh, you, you couldn't do better for reviews. It was amazing. I never saw this show because I was sitting in my hotel room with COVID the entire run. Uh, it only ran a very brief time because everybody started closing because of COVID. Uh, 
We were all shut down. So it's essentially now it's come to sprung to life again at the Studebaker. And what a wonderful, wonderful theater it is. I mean, Chicago has a gem there and, and it's got great history, but it's also as up to date and as, as, as wonderful a place to see and hear a musical. I hope you enjoyed it. Well, I did. And what I loved about it, the Studebaker is, I'm sure you know, newly renovated. Uh, the guy running the place yeah. now was there on opening night. And one of the things that's fabulous is, look, you know, we've got the big Broadway houses within the within the city and and there's plenty of that. But this is sort of almost a new venue now that it's renovated. It's it's intimate. It's large enough to, to have lots of people, but there's still an intimate feeling about it with yeah, some boxes where you can bring your family. And watch. Like a, even though it's, it's a much larger theater than it feels like. It's it feels like just a jewel box. Yeah, just just totally amazing. Do yeah, you get yeah. more? I know that it's when the phone rings, but what what projects give you? Is it is it writing for a film? Is it writing a, a Broadway show? Where does Paul Williams become most alive? Well, I love I love walking on a, on a set as an actor. I just spent two years with Billy Bob Thornton on Goliath. You know, I don't know if you ever saw Goliath or not on Amazon Prime, but it was like I was on the second and third season, and just to to work with somebody like Billy, I mean, it's just. I mean, I'm just absolutely, I mean, the first movie I did was a movie called The Loved One with Jonathan Winters and Sir John Gilgood and this amazing cast and all. There's two names you'd put together. From the Midwest, walking around with looking at that Panavision camera and and all those lights and Haskell Wexler is shooting it and lighting it. And it's like, oh, my God, how did I get here? And there's a part of me that when I walk on a set feels that the uh, and and all the projects, I mean, especially the, the the the. the film projects, you know, the Muppet, Muppet Christmas Carol, the, you know, the Muppet movie, and the the stuff with the with with the, the Hensons is really special. But but just look at the directors I've been able to work with: Brian De Palma on Phantom of the Paradise. You know, I was in the Doors. You know, I mean, it, it just there's it's just been great fun. And every now and then I get a decent acting job. <laughs> but but I'm a songwriter and. Uh, and an advocate for songwriters. I love my life. And, and, uh, and these days, you know, these days, that also includes my work at ASCAP, which I'm really, really proud of. Absolutely. You are president and chairman, chairman there of, of, uh, of ASCAP. And I think that's so great at 83 to be doing that kind of stuff. Uh, that's just phenomenal. And, and, and by the way, I want to, for, an, you know, David Foster, I'm sure you know David, is now working on his first yes. Broadway musical, Boop. It's, he's here in Chicago. He's here while you were, while you were. Oh, he was. Working at a, yes, that opens. Um, it's actually in previews now, but it's pre Broadway. Jerry Mitchell put it together. It's called Boop, the Betty Boop musical, but it's Foster's first endeavor into Broadway. And I'm sort of curious, what advice or thoughts do you have? Is was stepping into writing a Broadway show, in, like in your case, Jim Henson's Emmett Otter, is it sort of a, yeah, I can do it. It's one more project, or is Broadway a different world? Well, I think theater is a different world, and well, but it's wonderful because what the, the first big discovery about theater is that. The audience becomes your collaborator. You know, as you begin to, you know, I mean, I have, I remember sitting, I wrote a, a musical based on Happy Days with Gary Marshall. And I wrote some, you know, some songs that I knew. I mean, it's like, oh my God, this is, this is the Tony winning song, Gary. This <laughs> is that this moment between Fonzie, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and Mrs. The, you know, it, it was just, it was, oh my God, what? And the audience, that, this is Cunningham. It's, just, mm, it's like, it's like, it doesn't work. 
And I never would have guessed that. And you have to be willing to, what's the old saying? Have to be willing to kill your babies. You have to go, you know what? So it's the classic trunk of songs. There's some songs still in the trunk that just aren't, didn't work for you. The the one they get in the trunk, you know, like they they suffocate and and they go away. (laughs) I've never pulled a song out of a, out of a trunk for anything at all. But what, what I think it's interesting because I don't think this will ever be a problem with David. David is very, very sharp. One of the things that happens with songwriters when they go to the stage, they they want to write a hit song. You know, we all want to have a hit song, but the songs really need, need to do two things. They need to move the characters. You know, they need to show, give us a look into the characters' inner life, and they need to move to move the story forward. They need to be key to the story. They need to 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 expose pieces of of what's going on that that in in a way that suggests emotionally uh, beyond just the action of what is occurring and how does it feel to that person at that moment and uh, and it's just an amazing. So the script becomes everything. And for my whole life, from the beginning as an actor. To, to writing the songs for Bugsy Malone or Phantom of the Paradise or a, an end title for a Clint Eastwood movie with, you know, where, where Jeff uh, Bridges is, is dying and, and to write a song that, that fits that moment. It comes from the script. It comes from the story. It comes from the inner life of the character. David's going to figure that out on his own very quickly. Well, he will. And December 6th is opening. So come back to Chicago. Be my guest for opening night. When does uh, it open? Well, oh, it'll be playing. Oh, it'll, it'll still be here. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah it's just the 6th is open. Knowing David, I would think it's going to be there a long time and probably. I, and, and I wish him the best. Well, it's heading to Broadway. So I, first of all, and I thank you. And I hope you work on stuff until you're past 100 because uh, the thought of. Thank you. Thank we you. Have I, well, stuff. you know, I'm working on Pan's Labyrinth with Guillermo del Toro right now for the stage, which is wonderful. I'm writing with a group called Portugal the Man. Uh, I've got a, another musical co- called Fortunate Sons, which is in, a, in, the, in the midst of some major rewriting right now where instead of talk about everything we're going to show a little action for a change uh i love my life and paul thank you I i'm loving it, it. I and, and, and it. people get tickets at emmettotterlive.com jim henson's emmett otter's jug band christmas playing at the studebaker till december 31st we've got less than a minute left but can you sing us out with your favorite song my favorite song is from as is well from from if i'm going to sing something from emmett otter it would have to be well when the mountain touches the valley all the clouds are taught to fly. Thus our souls shall leave this land most peacefully. Yes, uh, though our minds be filled with questions and our hearts will understand when the river meets the almighty sea. Paul, I thank you. We're going to get cut off. It didn't cut you off. How dare it cut you off while you're singing? You're <laughs> fantastic. I love you. I have admired you forever. I can't wait for your next project. Paul Williams, thank you. You're a gift to the planet. You are as well, Paul. Thanks for your advocacy. God bless and kindness. And to you.